This is Celebration Church, but it's more than just a building or a church. We have a calling to be a place where people can find a relationship with God instead of religion. A place where freedom is found and acceptance given, and every person can discover their purpose and experience the kind of fulfillment only God can give. Together we will raise, lead, and empower a generation to change the world. Here, Jesus is famous, and all the glory goes to God. This is celebration. This is our family. Welcome home. Good morning. Welcome to Celebration Church. Let's all stand together as our campus joins with us. Down in the Fox Valley, our Stevens Point campus is online with us. Again, I'll explain more about that in just a minute. But let's recite together the Apostles' Creed. Of course, all those still at home. Uh, let's recite together the Apostles' Creed. This is our statement of faith. This is who we are and what we believe at Celebration Church. We believe in God, the Father Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth. We believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, who for us and for our salvation was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead, and on the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the fellowship of believers, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated. Good to have you with us. And again, good morning to all those who are watching us back at home during this pandemic season, which is slowly coming to end. Thank you, God. So uh, more and more people are coming. Um, don't get too comfortable sitting at home. Uh, you know, they say it only takes like 60 days to, to create a habit. <laughs> well, this is months of people sitting at home in their underwear watching us on TV, which is fine during the pandemic, but don't get too comfortable. Once this is over, you need to start coming back. Somebody say amen. amen. And if you're going out everywhere else and hanging with people, but suddenly morning, suddenly our COVID averse, shame, shame. <laughs> I've seen some of that. I see them out there, you know, restaurants and everything else, bars, homes, everybody gathering on Sunday morning. It's they're afraid of COVID. So anyway, let's uh, be a little consistent on that and continue to pray. We're uh, grateful that Pastor Bob, who had it really bad, was in the hospital, is back out of the hospital now and doing better. Still not 100%. That's why the Point Campus is still closed. There's no one there to lead the services, but uh, this too shall pass quickly. And uh, we're glad for Bob and for his family and for all the prayers. God does answer prayer. This is why we need to pray. Before we go any further, we want to pause to take our offering in the present environment. We aren't handing out buckets and stuff like that, but we're giving virtually online. Most people have already signed up for recurrent giving online, which is very helpful to us, and we're very appreciative of that. Uh, but the rest of you can give online. You can visit, uh, take your phone right now and go to our app, Celebration app. If you don't have the Celebration app on your phone, you should download it right now while I'm talking. So you can have it on there. Uh, it'll have, actually, sometimes we'll send messages out to everybody, particularly when the weather starts going crazy and you're wondering 
whether or not there's going to be a service because of the weather, if you have the app on your phone, you'll immediately be notified by us, and you won't have to sit there and stare at the television for 20 minutes listening to all the closures. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about? You're waiting, you're waiting. what about celebration? Uh, get the app, uh, and any updates and stuff are on there, and you can give on there as well. Or you can just text a gift to 77977, that's the number, all you at home, everybody sitting here, you can grab your phones, send a text message to the number 77977, that's where you're texting it, and then in the message you put CCWI, standing for Celebration Church, Wisconsin, CCWI, reason for the Wisconsin is there are other celebration churches around the country, uh, and then the dollar amount, uh, and even if you do that normally and just did that, thank you for that, uh, we want to remind you about our legacy campaign that is going on during the season of Advent. So I would encourage you to go back <laughs> on your phone and get, send us a message, uh, CCWI, uh, or on the app. It's even better, because then you can see it's the, the legacy thing and do it that way. Or you can see on the backs of your chairs, those of you here, and I presume in Appleton, there's cards, yes, and envelopes. Well, how convenient is that? So, uh, for cash or checks. Does anybody carry cash or checks anymore? I don't know. It's such a virtual world. That's all the, yeah, all the geezers like me. I got, yeah, me too. I got money right here. <laughs> everybody's, everybody's, what's cash? You guys see cash? Uh, it's, it's the green stuff that you can squish around. It's, it feels good. But, uh, but most people are, the world is just turning absolutely virtual. So, if you'll get on your phone and select, uh, where to give, and it'll say legacy, and then give your gift that way. Um, this is something we do annually. As you get ready for Christmas, and, you're, uh, and we encourage you as you're doing all your gifts and stuff, remember the church, remember the kingdom of God. Last Sunday, I preached a message. I called it the creepiest Christmas sermon ever preached, uh, talking about the end of the world. So how do I get prepared for that? By remembering the kingdom of God. One of the ways we do this is in our giving. So you want to be prepared? Stay awake, pay attention, and prioritize the kingdom of God in your life along with everything else that you're doing during this Christmas season. And everybody said, amen. amen. All right. Anyway, you guys are awesome. Uh, this morning, second Sunday of Advent now, uh, we want to read from, or start with the Gospel of Luke. I'm going to jump around here a little bit. But when you read the Christmas story, the first thing the Gospels tend to do is talk not about Jesus so much, but about John the Baptist, and we'll explain why in just a minute. This is the beginning of the Christmas story. We're going to look at Luke's uh, gospel, the very first uh, chapter, starting about verse 5. It says, in the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. There's Moses and Aaron, so she, her, her, her line goes way back. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth, Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. So there's old and there's very old. So these people are very old. Once, when Zechariah's division was on duty, I wish it would say how old. It doesn't say. People say the Bible, you know, critics, the Bible is a bunch of stories. If it's stories, these are the worst storytellers ever. Because they give you no details. 
If I was writing, man, I'd you know what the wind was doing and the birds and everything. They don't really build some drama, so they just stayed to the facts. This happened, that happened, that, that happened, all right? So it's not just a bunch of stories. Anyway, I would have liked to know the old, but I don't know. Very old. Let your mind run. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood, because he's a priest, right? Now he's going to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. They would pick one guy and he would go in there uh, and burn incense uh, for the people. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Everybody couldn't go in there. It was a special place. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. People always think, wouldn't it be cool if you could actually see an angel? Apparently not, because every time it happens, it freaks the willies out of these people. Because if you're the only guy there, and suddenly there's another guy there, (laughs) that kind of freaks you out. My wife is constantly startled because I happen to live in the same house with her. I don't know what that's about. Oh, you scared me. I live here. Anyway. Uh, so anyway, uh, this angel, when Zachariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear, freaked him out. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. And he will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He's never to take any wine or fermented drink. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. The only person that we're aware of in the history of the human race that is actually filled with the Spirit of God before birth. Interesting. Talk about more of that in just a second. Uh, Where am I? He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. He will go on before the Lord in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous and to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. So it says he's going to go in the spirit and the power of Elijah. What was prophesied in the Old Testament was that Elijah would come before the Messiah. He would come back again. So they are literally looking for Elijah. I would have been literally looking for Elijah. In fact, they later asked Jesus, what about Elijah? How come he wasn't supposed to come? He said, yeah, he already came. It was John the Baptist. See, we missed that he came in the spirit and the power of Elijah. So that was John the Baptist. And which, again, no details. What does that mean? Because Elijah, he was like a Mac Daddy prophet in the Old Testament. He did all kinds of miracles and stuff like that. And it doesn't say anything about John doing these things. Maybe he did, maybe he did. I don't know. All we know is he was a major figure during this time uh, when, he, when, he, uh, when he grows up. So anyway, Zechariah asks the angel. Now, he's not surprised by any of this. I would, my son, he's the spirit of life. He's going to prepare the way of the Lord. I, that's not what he's thinking. He says, I'm an old man. <laughs> and my wife, you know, the circus has closed and, and moved out of town, all right? So, you know, how, how, how can this be? And then the angel said, the angel gets a little ticked. He says, I'm Gabriel. He's the archangel, Gabriel. Uh, and he's now the Mac Daddy of all the angels. It used to be, you know who it used to be? Lucifer. Satan himself. He was the top angel. And then he fell, and now Gabriel is. 
So he says, look, I'm Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words. So he's a little ticked. And usually they'll say something like, you didn't believe the word of the Lord or something like that. Gabriel's like, you didn't believe my words. I'm Gabriel. I don't mess around. You're not going to be able to talk. Now, Gabriel's at a serious advantage and Zechariah at a disadvantage, as we are, okay? We live in a world where we are constantly met with impossibilities, right? I mean, things that you hope will happen, a lot of times they don't happen. Stuff you didn't think was going to break suddenly breaks. Something goes wrong. We are surrounded by limitations. It's one of the reasons why the older you get sometimes, it can be harder to have any faith because you're so constantly reminded. Kids, that's why it says the Bible, we should have faith like a kid because a little kid will believe almost anything because he hasn't run into to limitations. You take a, a four-year-old little boy who just watched Superman on TV and put a cloak around him and tell him to jump out the window and fly, he will jump out of the window and meet one of his first major failures in life as he smacks on the grass. Uh, why? Because they just believe anything, right? Anything's possible. Anything's possible. And the older you get, the more you start to realize the experiences of impossibilities. And it becomes rather frustrating. So Zechariah, very old. He knows life. Life is hard. Uh, you know, and the angel said, your wife's going to have a child. And he's going, you know how long we've been waiting for this. I think this is past. And Gabriel gets ticked. How come you don't believe me? Hello. <laughs> Where have you been for the last 60 years? But the angel gets a little ticked and slaps him with this problem. He can't be able to speak until the child is born. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long. Because he's talking to an angel. They don't know this. When he uh, came out, he could not speak to them. His mouth, was, he wasn't able to talk. And they realized he had seen a vision in the temple for he kept making signs to them, trying to explain, but he remained unable to speak. So when the time of his service was completed, he returns home. After uh, this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. Why is that? This is not unusual. A lot of times women who've uh, experienced, uh, you know, what do you call them? My mind has been blank. Somebody hit my, my remote control and changed the channel on my brain. What do you call it? You're going to have a baby and you lose the baby. What's that called? Miscarriage. Thank you. Anyway, a lot of women who have experienced miscarriages, uh, when they get pregnant again, they don't tell people. You know what I'm saying? Because they've been through this. Some of you know what I'm talking about. And you, you want to wait because it's, it's heartbreaking when everybody gets all excited and then you lose the baby and stuff like that. So this lady, she's got to figure Am I going to keep this baby? You know, I'm an old lady at this point. So she remains in seclusion. And finally, it dawns, hey, this is really happening. Uh, verse 25, the Lord has done this for me. In the days he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. Anyway, verse 57, we'll jump down there. When it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy. I mean, everybody's like, wow, <laughs> this is pretty cool. And on the eighth day, as was the tradition, they came to circumcise the child, and they were going to name him after his father, Zechariah. This is when they pronounced the name of the child. Then when his mother spoke up and said, no, no, he's supposed to be called John, because obviously 
Zechariah had written, because he could write, he just couldn't talk, that this angel said, you're going to call him John. And they said to her, well, there's nobody among your relatives with, that has that name. And they made signs to the father to find out what he should like, uh, like to call the child. And he asked for a writing tablet. And to everyone's astonishment, he wrote, his name is John. And immediately, his mouth was open. And his tongue set free. And he began to speak, praising God. All the neighbors were filled with awe. And throughout the hill country of Judea, people were talking all about these things. Everyone who heard this wondered about it, asking, what then is this child going to be for the Lord's hand was with him? Then we're going to jump to the gospel of Mark and read how Mark starts out the Advent story. Chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning of the good news of, about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, because Isaiah had prophesied that this person would come, John the Baptist making the way of, for the Lord as uh, Gabriel had told him. So he reads from the prophet Isaiah, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord to make straight paths for him. So John's calling was to make things ready to point people to Jesus. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. This is amazing. And again, no details. How long did he do this? How did he get started? He preached in the wilderness. Now, if I'm trying to have big meetings, I don't go south of Crivitz, you know what I'm saying? In the middle of nowhere and hope people will show up. He's in the wilderness. He's not coming into town where people, how does this happen? It doesn't tell us. But he becomes a major figure. And thousands of people are drawn to John. And he baptizes them in the Jordan River. And he's preaching, get ready, the Messiah's coming. And he has this major impact on people's lives. Then he tells us a little bit more about John. He says, John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist. He ate locusts and wild honey. So John is a little odd, <laughs> is what he's saying. He's kind of a weird dude. He wears camel's hair with a belt tied around, I guess, to keep the hair together. I don't know. And he eats bugs. And honey, I'm up for the honey. I guess if you got enough honey, I could eat a bug. All right? So this is what he does. And this is his message. After me comes one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. This is all we know about what he's saying at this point. He's telling people, turn from your sins, get ready. The Messiah is coming, and, which actually is his cousin. Right? That's, that's, and so he knows it, but he doesn't say anything at this point. So the people are coming and stuff, and he just knows. Again, this kid has been filled with the Spirit of God before he was born. What is that about? I mean, how incredible is this, right? So John becomes this major figure. It's, the Bible, obviously, is focused on Jesus because he's a much bigger deal, the Son of God in the flesh, than John doesn't tell us much about it, but John has a major impact in the country uh, of, of the Israelites at this time. And is thousands of people. Actually, uh, I want to jump to uh, the book of Acts, which later talks about 
the, as the gospel was preached around the world. So Paul, the apostle at this time, uh, he was persecuting Christians. His name was Saul. Becomes a Christian, changes his name to Paul. And he is, uh, while Apollos was in Corinth, Paul took the road. This is chapter 19 of uh, uh, Corinthians. Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. And there he found, now Ephesus is in Turkey. It's in Western Turkey. So he's way out there now. And he found some disciples, people who were believers in God and who acknowledged who Jesus was. And it kind of shocked him. Who are these guys? You know, we're kind of out here in the middle of nowhere, uh, way away from Israel. And uh, so he finds some disciples there. And these guys were disciples of John the Baptist. He had a worldwide, really, of the world at that time, influence. Paul asked him, well, did you guys receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, no, we never even heard there was a Holy Spirit. So these guys didn't really know that much about Jesus. Um, so Paul asked them, they want baptism did you receive? John's baptism. So he finds out that they're disciples of John. And Paul said, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is, in Jesus, which at this point they knew. That's why they were disciples. So on hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus, baptized again. So here they go uh, as a Christian baptism. And when Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. One of the major signs of early Christians are spiritual gifts. Uh, actually, this last year, we were planning, uh, you know, we follow the church calendar, and after Easter comes the time of Pentecost, and we were planning on having some special Holy Spirit services where we're going to pray for people, lay hands on them, experience spiritual gifts, speak in tongues, whatever. It's really the bomb, I'm telling you, it's awesome. Uh, but then the stupid COVID came and nobody was doing anything. So we're hoping to do this next year, short of another plague coming through. So you, know, just, you never know, right? Just be ready. Um, so anyway, so let's jump back to uh, Matthew's gospel now in the 11th chapter. And Jesus starts talking about John the Baptist. After Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in the towns of Galilee. When John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent disciples to ask him, are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? So John, at this point, he has been arrested uh, and by Herod, because Herod is acting very badly and doing things that are very immoral, and John got in his face and said, you need to stop. And the thing about kings back then is that you don't tell them to stop. <laughs> They'll kill you. So they, they grab John. He throws him in prison. Uh, and um, so he's in prison. He's, you know, this isn't Brown County lockup. I mean, this is thousands of years ago, 2,000 years ago. These are awful places. And through his struggles, he begins to doubt. And we're going to read here in just a second. Jesus doesn't start criticizing him for that. There's seasons in life where you talk about running into expectations and failures and things uh, going wrong, it's easy to feel overwhelmed, right? Sometimes we feel bad, right? Don't you feel bad about yourself when you're not being as spiritual as you think you should be and as strong as you think and, gee, I, I'm not a good person because I should be having a lot more faith? Look, even the guys in the Bible at times struggled. Uh, that's why it's called faith. And, and faith sounds like an easy thing to do. It's not. At times, it's really, really hard to do, especially when you're in dark. I had a I heard a preacher once say, don't doubt in the dark what God showed you very clearly in the light. Oftentimes when you're dark and you're confused, you don't know what's going on, 
lean and trust in what God made to you when things were clear. But it's hard. <laughs> Put a camera in front of me. You're not going to get a normal response. Anyway. So, so John is now, he's, you know, he's, he's the one who introduced Jesus. And now he's saying, are you the Messiah? You know, wow. I mean, quite the turnaround. So Jesus says, uh, verse 4. Go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. As John's disciples were leaving, so they go to tell this. And so Jesus only says to his cousin, tell him what you're seeing. And he goes back and, and of course, it's going to reaffirm to him because he doesn't know what's going on, right? He's in the dark. He's in jail. He's, there's no TV. You know, there's nothing to do. And he's discouraged. And so the disciples come and to start subscribing the kinds of things that Jesus are doing, is doing. And of course, this helps John. So anyway, John, or Jesus says, uh, as John's disciples were leaving, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. He said, when, what did you go out into the wilderness to see? And they'd all been out there to see him. He, seriously, John was like a major rock star. Thousands of people, the whole country was influenced by this guy. And he asked, when you went out to see him, what did you expect? A reed swayed by the wind? Um, If not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? Well, we know that wasn't the case. Uh, If not, what did you go out to see? Uh, No, those who wear fine clothes are in king's palaces. Then what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, he says, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is what... This is the one about whom it is written. And now he, Jesus, also quotes Isaiah's prophecy. I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. Truly, I tell you, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Now think about this. We're talking Moses. We're talking all these big prophets, all this stuff. And Jesus says, of all the people born on earth, there's been no prophet, nobody greater in influence than John the Baptist, which is a little frustrating because we don't know what he did except prepare the way, whatever that means. So he's preaching. So anyway, he was a major figure. Uh, Yet, Jesus says, whoever is the least in the kingdom of heaven is going to be greater than John the Baptist in the kingdom of heaven. Isn't that weird? Very odd, very strange. Why is that? My biggest guess is because to whom much is given, much is required. John has a major advantage in life. Do you remember what it is? He was filled with the Holy Spirit from birth, you see. See, we think oftentimes, man, I wish I'd have been filled with the Holy Spirit from birth. I wish angels were talking to me all the time. What we look at as a great advantage from the kingdom of God's perspective apparently is not. Your struggles, your mistakes, your failures, the stuff that you fight through and trust in Jesus despite all the craziness that happens in this earth is a major blessing to you. And when we get on that other side, 
you are going to be greatly rewarded for this stuff. I mean, it's hard for our heads to grasp because we see our struggles and we think that makes me a lousy person. I'm not a good enough person. I'm not spiritual as I should be. You know, I shouldn't have been mean to that guy and I was, Lord forgive me. And, and I yelled at the dog pooping in my yard and, and I should have done that. And I saw this bug and I killed the bug. He wasn't hurting anybody. I could have just replanted him. But no, I killed the bug. And we start getting frustrated about life and we think we're failures when in fact, the one who has all this miraculous stuff happen to him from birth itself, from the kingdom of God, he's actually going to be the least in the kingdom. Isn't that amazing? Whoever is the least is going to be greater than John. I figure when I get there, I'm going to be neighbors with John. <laughs> At the worst. John, how's it going? Yeah, yeah, shut up. You know, so I mean, this is amazing stuff. Anyway, all of this rambling... <laughs> The point about the Advent season, what was John's job? John's job is the same that is our job, and that is pointing people to Jesus. That's what this is about. And pointing people to Jesus. You know, a lot of times people think, you know, gosh, I don't know how to preach, or uh, I'm not exactly sure about all the answers in the Bible and stuff like that. You don't have to have all that. You know what you need to do? A lot of times people get frustrated thinking, no, I know I should be an evangelist and, and share the good news. What you need to do is point people to Jesus. There's all kinds of ways you can point people to Jesus. By the life that you live, by little words that you say, things that you acknowledge about who Jesus is into people's lives has an impact. You keep pointing people to Jesus. That's what we're called to do. So we're like John, number one, we're called to prepare the way for others to find Jesus in whatever way, and we all have multiple opportunities to do this, okay? Live a life and look for opportunities to point people to Jesus, number one. And number two, we're weird like John is weird. We don't eat bugs that I'm aware of. But the truth is, as a Christian, we don't quite fit in with everybody else. Have you ever felt that? I mean, it's really true. I talked about I was talking to the young people some, I don't know, a month or two ago, you know, there's something about the Christian faith. The Bible says that there's a, there's a sense of shame attached to it. It's called the shame of the cross. We're supposed to bear that. If you ever feel ashamed for being a Christian, especially young people, because the world around you will try and make you, if you ever feel that, and, and when you recognize it, oh yeah, there it is. There it is. I'm supposed to embrace that. Don't, make, don't let it make you hide who you are. Be who you are. This is normal. There's something about being in this world, we're not like everybody else. Uh, any of you who, you know, even, you know, we're supposed to make friends with non-Christians too, and we do this, right? You, you can't win somebody to Jesus that you can't win to yourself. So we're supposed to make friends with non-Christians. Uh, we're not supposed to be holier than thou and condemning and stuff. But even as you're hanging with other Christians, there's, there's lines they'll cross that, that you can't cross. Do you know what I'm saying? There's stuff they do that you can't do. There's things that will engage in you. And they, and they notice it and they recognize it. And they think you're a little weird. Uh, oftentimes as you live out your faith, you're as weird around people as John the Baptist was wearing camel skin and eating bugs. But you know what? That's who we are. We are. We embrace the shame of the cross. We're not like everybody else. We are filled with joy unspeakable and full of glory, but we live in a world that doesn't understand. In fact, in a very large sense, the world can't stand our guts because we don't participate in all these things. Uh, Jesus said in Matthew 10, 22, you'll be hated by everyone because of me, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. Matthew 24, verse nine, then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death. 
and you'll be hated by all nations because of me. John 17, verse 14. You have given them your, I have given them your word. He's talking to the Father. He's praying. I've given them your word, and the world has hated them. For they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. Down to John, uh, 1 John 2, 16. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, comes not from the Father, but from the world. It is this part of being a Christian, and this is particularly for young people, because you'll feel this, because the world is going to desperately want you to give up on your faith, or to so compromise your faith, so you can fit in, because nobody likes being a little outside the norm, and I'm telling you, we are called to be outside the norm. We're not supposed to be like everybody else, in a very real sense. When I was growing up, my parents would always remind us, say, you're not like everybody else, because we want to be like everybody else. Well, Johnny, Johnny gets to do it. Well, Johnny's not a gunger. You're a gunger. Yeah, but I didn't have a choice. Yeah, but... And in a way, a lot of times parents will let you. It doesn't matter what everybody else does. You're my kid. When Johnny's dad starts paying for you, then you can do that. You know what I'm saying? All the different things that we all come up with and stuff. But as a Christian, we are called to be different. And so much today, I, and, and I'm pretty much done here, so much today I, I see people that have been raised in the church all their lives, and then they come up with all kinds of weird theologies and stuff, and start explaining why the Bible doesn't really mean what it says, and, and this is okay, even though the Bible says it's not okay, and they start coming up with all these things, and these are, if, if you look closely to these guys who advocate this stuff, they're oftentimes kids who were raised in the church all their lives advocating this. And it's a very poisonous version of Christianity that is out there today. Uh, they, they call it grace. I call it grease because you can live like hell and nobody cares. Uh, and, and why do they do this? Because they never got comfortable with that little embarrassment of being different. And what they're trying to do more than anything is make Christianity just like everybody else. We think just like everybody else, and we act just like everybody else, and we think whatever everybody else does is okay, and we don't have any problems. And it breaks my heart when, I, and I know what it is. It's they cannot bear the shame of the cross. But here's the thing. It is a glorious thing to be identified with the shame of the cross. It's a glorious thing to be different. It change, and when you start to realize who you are in reality, it changes you, and it lifts you up. It doesn't tear you down. I love watching these movies, and I should shut up, but I can't stop. I, I love watching You ever see, there's millions of versions of it. It's like some, you know, girl, and she's really, you know, frumpy looking, and, you know, I'm a loser. And, and then they find out that, in fact, because of something, you're actually the next queen of England or something. You know, you've seen these movies, right? And, and, and it's kind of a comical thing of how they're, but they start to change. And they start to act different when they start to realize who they are. And by the end, they're dropped dead, stinking gorgeous, you know, and, and all this stuff. And la, 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 as they walk around. And they realize they're different. Why are they acting different? Because they're different. They start to understand who they are. It's a fabulous thing. It's like some of you right now are stressed out because of money at Christmas time. But if you just got word that <laughs> some monthly millionaire left you all their money, you'd feel really different. You wouldn't feel stressed at all. <laughs> Even if you don't got the check yet and it's on the way. Just knowing that it's on the way, you'd feel better. Why? Because you realize I'm an heir to this fortune. How cool is that? I hope my brothers don't find out about it. This is awesome. 
Because you start to realize who you, the fact that you're different is not always a bad thing. It can be most of the time a glorious, uplifting thing. There's only so many people that fall in special categories. And I'm telling you, as a person of faith, you young people, as people of faith, you are in a category that makes you different, but not in a bad way. It's in a great way. And it will lift you up. It will empower you. And you can go do what we've been all called to do, which is point people to Jesus. That's good preaching, Pastor Mark. All right. That's good. Let's go to our time of communion. Uh, we uh, if, when on the way in at our campus in Fox Valley and here, uh, they give you this, these little cups. If you're not used to those, what it is, it comes in two little layers. The first layer, little thing. If you've got fat fingers, you'll struggle. But you, you'll find the first wafer for the bread, and then you've got to peel the next layer to get to the juice, which is... Uh, the wine that we'll be drinking this morning for our time of communion. Those of you at home can uh, uh, get ready. Well, just a minute. I'm not talking yet. Uh, you're going to need to go get whatever you're using for your bread and wine this morning for our time of communion. But before we do all that, let's pray together. Let us celebrate the grace of God. The grace of God doesn't say sin is okay. The grace of God gives forgiveness when we fall short of doing the right thing. And the Bible always encourages us, when you take communion, pause for a minute and examine yourself. Where are you at? How have you been this last week? How are you doing in your faith? If you're struggling, if you've said things you shouldn't have said, done things you shouldn't have done, you know, now is the time to set it right with God. So let's pray together. Let's all bow our heads as I pray a prayer of forgiveness over all of us listening this morning. Heavenly Father, before we partake of the bread and the cup this morning and in obedience to the scriptures, we pause now to examine ourselves. If we've sinned against you in any way, thought, word, or deed, maybe something we've done, something we should have done that we didn't, if we haven't loved you with our whole heart, if we haven't loved our neighbors as ourselves, for the sake of your beloved son, Jesus, who gave himself as a sacrifice for our sins, have mercy on us and forgive us of all our sins. Strengthen us in all goodness. And by the power of your Holy Spirit, keep us in eternal life that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. And as our heads are bowed and we're all in an attitude of prayer, if you can think of anything that maybe you need to whisper to God, uh, confessing faults or sins, you can do that now. And, and if, if you're listening this morning, you're in our campus here or in Fox Valley watching online, if you've never ever asked Jesus in your life in the first place, do that now. Just pray a simple little prayer. Ask Jesus to come into your life. Ask him to forgive you of all your sins because he can make right everything that is wrong about you. Say, is that possible? Yes, it is. That's what we celebrate. That's what we share. That's what we proclaim. That's what we sing about. This wonderful, glorious gift of grace. When we call out to him, he has grace and mercy for us. Amen.